I come from a very cultural family and background. I am Lebanese, Mexican, German, and Danish. Understand we've all felt stuck at one point or another, even the most successful people among us, because it's a rite of passage, a trial, to see if you have what it takes to be independent. The test is to prove that you deserve your destiny. Each week our goal is to bring you an inspiring story of someone who moved beyond their stranded face and found greatness on the other side. Welcome to The Stranded Podcast, and this is your host, Jessica Hurley. Welcome to the Stranded Phase podcast. This is your host, Jessica Hurley. Today we are live again. These interviews are my absolute favorite in person, and I am sitting across from a powerhouse, y'all. I can't, cannot believe that I keep meeting these amazing women and they keep getting younger and younger. <laughs> I am sitting across from Ingrid Harb, the founder of Women Ambassadors Forum, an amazing conference with what? how many countries? Over 60. We've received applications from over 85. 85 plus countries, women from all over, and you are servicing women with vulnerability and breaking down their insecurities and getting past what we call the stranded phase and really finding themselves and getting into where they want to be. And I was blown away with your recent conference held here in Tampa, and you are just doing some amazing work here. So I had to know. Oh, and by the way, this beautiful girl is 24 years old. So I had to have you. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I am just so excited to be here. Listen, you guys don't understand. I want to pick her brain so bad, but I'm going to be nice and tell you what you want to hear. So, (laughs) so First and foremost, just tell us a little bit about you and growing up in Mexico. How old were you when you moved here? And and just a little bit about your childhood, if you don't mind. Of course. So I I grew up in Mexico and I come from a very cultural family and background. I am Lebanese, Mexican, German, and Danish. And so even though I grew up in Mexico, I was, you know, raised in different cultures. And I think that's what helps me relate to a lot of different cultures as well. But when I grew up in Mexico, I was, when I was 16, there was a time where there was a drug war. And the drug war was terrible. I mean, I remember, you know, being with my mom in the north of Mexico and, you know, we would play in the car to see how many people, how many drug dealers you would see in the cars because it was that bad. And you would literally point to cars and be like, you know, oh my gosh, today I saw 10 and 15 and, it was scary, and I was at an age, you know, 16, in Mexico, that's when you start going out, which is totally yes. not legal in the United States. <laughs> so you were also a target for these men. Really, though. Yeah. And and so my parents sent me to boarding school in Austin, Texas. And Well, so tell me, what city in Mexico? I was in Moncloa, which is the north of Mexico, around three hours from the border of, the, of Texas. Wow. Mm-hmm. So they sent you to Austin to get out. Yes. And when I got there, I've always been an athlete. I played, um, you know, regionally basketball. And when I moved to the U.S., I, you know, that being an athlete gave me a lot of, you know, determination and, you know, persistence and discipline because you have to be disciplined, really. In the U.S., I realized how 
different it was and how mm. free I felt and how especially with stereotypes like in in Mexico you're raised even though I have very strong female figures in my family there is a certain way a woman acts and mm. a certain way a woman talks and sits and dresses and you always have to wear makeup and you always like all these things of being perfect you know I was I, I had my the first time I got waxed was when I was like 10 years old what and yes and I say this because it's nuts I mean it's crazy oh my gosh yes, to see and know that women are suffering from stereotypes and from cultural uh you know barriers that we don't know they exist until you leave and in you know, and it's a beautiful culture, right? Right, right? But being in the US, I started meeting other women that were, you know, so ambitious and all my friends wanted to go to Ivy Leagues and, you know, and get a higher education and and they were just, you know, they weren't worrying about if their nails were painted or not. Or and makeup or their makeup nails. was no. I mean no one wore makeup, right? right. And long shirts and short shorts and it was right. like tennis shoes. Yeah. Like, oh my god, I love this. <laughs> this is so great. Yeah. <laughs> So then in Texas, in boarding school, I had an advisor. I moved when I was a junior, which is when people are getting ready for college. Right. And I had an advisor that sat me down in a corner and basically told me that I needed to focus on applying to other universities, not the ones of my choice, because I wasn't smart enough to get into the universities of my choice. And she you know, straight up told me that I had too many distractions and that wherever I would go, I would drop off because I wasn't committed enough and that I hadn't made any impact there. So no one was going to remember me. And I just remember, I mean, coming from another con country and culture and then trying to get acquired and, you know, all these things of acclimated, right? And, and understanding the different anyways. Because at this point you were only here for like two years when it was time to yeah, go to college, right? Yeah. So it was, devastating I felt lost I felt as if I didn't belong and I remember calling my mom and my mom's like you got this like it's gonna be okay still apply Aww. she encouraged me to do many more things I even convinced the orchestra director to let me I didn't even play the violin and he let me like sit at the orchestra like in the orchestra while they were playing so that the colleges would see that I was in the orchestra team <laughs> And I would literally sit there and mimic people in front of me, like moving my arms so that I, I mean, without playing, right? But it was little things that I did so that I would get to the university where I wanted. And I knew that it didn't matter what I had to do, I was going to get where I wanted to go. So even when I got accepted into the universities of my choice, I went back to the consular and told her, hey... I got into all my universities. I got scholarships. I mean, it was this like enlightenment moment of, oh my God, I am smart right. because no one ever had told me that, right? right? I mean, that's not something that you you should be proud of in other countries because right. what you should be proud of is how many boys like you and how many dates you have. And, and that shift in getting into the universities of my choice, then she told me, well, you know, if you go to Boston, if you go to the city, like you're not going to make it. And, you know, thankfully, I mean, I just think about how many people in the world are stopped by that, right? Mm. They're stopped by a counselor, an advisor, or any sort of figure that tells them that they're not capable of doing it. So it's, it was definitely something that I will always remember, but I think in the end, it's just learning to listen to who you need to listen to. 
and learning to know that if people say no, you should you know, work harder so that you can prove them that you can do it. So at the age, the ripe age of 18, you're already learning how, how to turn, tune out others' opinion. Mm-hmm. Because for women, I would definitely say myself, I remember that people that were higher level, you know, maybe a counselor or a teacher or someone that I've, I looked at as an authoritative figure, it was more than an opinion. They were right to me. I was like, oh, well, if they say it and they're experienced, they're right. And so I was always taking that at face value. And you already knew at 18 to drown this out and no matter what I want, I'm going to get. And also in the U.S., I feel like when women are like that, we're considered like bitchy and snobby and like, will you just relax? Like, just take what you can get. You don't need to be like this super ambitious, have to have everything you want type of woman. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah. And, and growing up, I mean, this is a story that I always share because I think it, it really impacted the way, you know, it led me into Yeah, creating I was going to say, what made you so, conference. like... <laughs> <laughs> my, my mom, uh, she would always do, we would always do community service. And since we were little, we would go to, you know, urban cities and uh, donate, you know, clothes, toys, anything. This is something I did since I was very little. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, for us, giving was a way of living, not a choice. And one time, I was at a... Oh, God, so much. But I think, so, it was this um, shelter, right? Um, a children's shelter. And I remember I was what like 11 years old and you were 11 yeah and this girl she you know I was like super close to her like I would every time I would go play with her you know um you know we played barbies or I bring toys and I remember one time she um she was she like she was like in this sort of urgency to tell me something and I was like what you know what's wrong and um, we go into this room and she told me that she'd been raped and, um, and that she got, got her period and I didn't know what rape was. Oh my God. And for me, that moment I hugged her and I knew that's all I could do, right? It's like that hug that felt as if I could just help her, right? And since then, you know. I think for me and a lot of the things that I do is just show women that even though I haven't been where they've, you know, what they've gone through is that I feel and I can, and I can help however I can, right? And that they're, you know, they should feel um, like there are other people that can hold them back. So, but listen, this is where this gets so powerful. Oh, girl. So I just heard this the other day that there was like this big study done and I never mentioned numbers because I'll screw it up. But the study (laughs) said that um, this guy said that he always trains CEOs and every room full of CEOs, he always asks like, who was the valedictorian? And it's always like two people in the room of like hundreds. And he said, what the study shows is it's never the people with the highest IQ. The people that are leaders and CEOs and that are changing the world are those with compassion and have the ability, like the EQ, the emotional intelligence, the that have empathy, that are empathetic, that have the ability to not only sympathize, but empathize with Mm -hmm. others. Because it's one thing for us to have a why. You know, have you ever heard that? Like, you don't have a real why until you have kids Mm -hmm. or until you like, something has happened to someone close to you. But when you're empathetic, 
you operate from the soul of other people mm -hmm. that cannot do what you do. So that you're like, I'm doing it for this person. I'm doing yeah. it for that girl. Mm -hmm. I'm doing this for all the women out there that I know that are suffering and I can feel it. I feel what you feel. Even though mm -hmm. I don't have the same suffering story yeah. that you have, I'm doing this for you because I don't ever want to see women mm -hmm. go through this. I don't want you to feel like you're alone. Mm -hmm. I want us to all to come together in one place. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's going to make and you one of the greatest leaders. Thank you. And that's what happened, though. It's 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 having empathy, right? And I did it. I learned it at a very young age. Very. So when I went to college, I was just, you know, lucky and excited. And I had a great group of friends that supported me. And I was an athlete uh, there, too. I was a cross-country athlete. And, and for me, when I was a junior in college, I started digging in because I wanted to do human communications mm -hmm. and I wanted to be a broadcaster and you know my dad was like no you got to do business you have to learn how to do a business and I was like but I love this other thing right <laughs> but anyways you know he was paying for it so I had to <laughs> <laughs> eventually I did a minor in human communications but and this is a lot of what I do now right right uh, but when I was in college, I started getting to sociology and I did a lot of community service, like always, but what changed me the most and what made me realize that there was a bigger problem was when I started analyzing all of the movies and media and everything that surrounds us that's affecting the way we think. Mm -hmm. And that's affecting in a way that women are seen and are taking roles that are not giving you know they're not gaining respect or they're not gaining a certain type of status or it's affecting the way that we think of women in the workplace or the way we think of women in sex right like all these things that you know they don't show I mean this is so, so off topic but like they don't show in movies that I mean we don't have pleasure the way that they show in movies and right this is awesome <laughs> No, but this is so enlightening <laughs> to me because crazy. I always wonder. And so I read Sheryl Sandberg and Lean In. And it was that whole era when it was just starting, you know, women were speaking up. And, you know, there were, I read a couple of books of women in history. And I just was shocked that I was never, I was never taught to learn about these wonderful and amazing women from history. And we don't learn that. So... For me, you know, growing up with this Disney mentality and this princess mentality, it was sort of this like, you know, women are, there are more women graduated from college, but there's less in the workplace and they're dropping off. And what are those things that are making women leave the workplace? And I started digging more into it. And after reading Lenin, I said, wow, you know, it's amazing that women can lean in and, or learn how to lean in. But if you don't, you're, what about all the women that are not in the corporate world? What about all the women that can't get there, that cannot lean in because they have their culture that's stopping them from doing it? And that same year, I went to a conference in Mexico that it was a Harvard and MIT conference. And I ran into, I ran across this guy named Josh Danish Borush. And he was a consultant, a leadership consultant. And at the time, you know, it's sort of like I had this light bulb, right? I was like, wow, I can replicate this conference. It was a four-day conference, but do it just for women. And it would be a great, you know, experience and great way for me to recruit women um, and get to meet other women and learn their stories and learn how we together can continue to grow. So I came back to the U.S. and I put myself a five-month uh, deadline. 
True entrepreneurship. (laughs) Give it a deadline. I I gave it a deadline, but I clearly did not know. I mean, I never fundraised. Never. I didn't know that, you know, so many things that, you know, it's, you have to do when you organize conferences. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) I knew that Josh could be the main consultant, uh, but then, you know, we started, we got around 10 you know, speakers, uh, one of them being the former ex-first lady of, of Mexico. And it was crazy to see that, you know, this group of friends of mine that, of a club that I've created in campus, then was engaging in something larger that students could ever do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so our first conference, we, you know, recruited, we had two countries, Mexico and the U.S. And mm-hmm. honestly, the first one, it's like, I'm Mexican. So it was easier for me to just yeah. call my friends yeah, and everyone that they knew. <laughs> But there was one story in particular about this girl. And, you know, the first time that you do something, you may not know that there's an impact or there right. may be like a ripple effect. And especially with conferences, you don't see the outcome right away right. until months later or, or years later. So we had this girl from Sonora and she had, you know, we were in the conference and it was the last day and um, she had sold sandwiches to come to the conference. And I remember sitting and someone from my team came up to me and was like, oh my gosh, did you see this? And um, the moment I saw that post, I went and hugged her and I said, thank you. Because thanks to you, I know that this is worth fighting for. And for me, it was just so insane to see how badly women wanted and needed this community and how bad women are like afraid to you know fight against all these things that are holding them back and um you know after that post and now seeing you know Graciela as a girl from Sonora she's like in Washington DC and she's rocking it and you know all these stories and so from the first conference to now fast forward the second year we got 45 countries that applied the third year we got 85 and then it's just every year we've been able to do you know a length of a five-day conference we help women from getting their visas to attending the conference and the women that attend are truly changing the world i mean they have initiatives that are helping you know over six thousand women ten thousand i have a girl from uganda that sent over fifteen thousand fifteen thousand girls to school and it's just like these women are in their early 20s, they're in their 30s, and they are, you know, we have women that um, share how, you know, people literally um, will like block them from going to work. Like they'll physically like block them, like they can't drive to work. And we have women that they put them to sleep with animals because they're not pure and they're having their periods. And it's like, what? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Like, I started becoming even more aware and empathetic. And it's something I really, you know, me and the girls that work with me, we can't stop it. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's you see these women. And, you know, we had a girl from Pakistan that was stopped uh, 15 times in a knife but by a man uh, on her way to work. Because she was working in politics. And the guy didn't think that she should be working in politics. And... She wrote to me and was like, Ingrid, like, I need to get an education. I need to get out of Pakistan. I need to do this. And it's like, as much as you want to help, you, my only, you know, how I help is through this platform. It's helping them connect with other women and sort of sharing their, 
you know, voice and like restoring. I mean, we really, that's in a nutshell what we do. We restore. So tell, oh my gosh, I have so many questions. So tell me, I know you've mentioned it over and over, but tell me the true mission behind the Women Ambassadors Forum. Like what is your direct mission? Like handwritten, the written, what's the purpose? To have a community of um, leaders from across the globe. But I think more of it, there's a lot of, I mean, God, I know I should have typical business case, business plan. No, I'm kind of glad that you don't. No. (laughs) I kind of like this. It changes. So every time I think in the end is to really, you know, have a platform for women to collectively disrupt, to support each other, to restore each other, to live it, to be part of this movement that helps you be without telling you who to be, right? So the whole idea is like destroy and and disrupt. Or disrupt and restore. Yes. So disrupt and just restore. And it's so every year that we we host an an annual conference and then we just started doing one day conferences that are very similar to like a Tony Robbins conference where you're totally going to be doing activities and out of body experiences where you get to dance and you get to like engage with, you know, get to really meet women at a different uh, level that you would in other conferences, right? Because other conferences oversee that one part of their story and what they're going through because we're all going through a lot, right? Right, right. Um, But that's where we stop and we say, if you share, you're going to know that you're not the only one. Right. So every year we have a different theme. And our theme, um, you know, our first theme was leaders, you know, women in leadership and then uh, leaders for change. And then we had a ripple effect because we realized that we were creating ripples. I mean, there were yes. companies coming out of the conference. There's been over 10 companies oh, that have been created. Oh, shut up. Yeah. And, That's so cool. Yeah. And then the fourth conference, we did collect as a disruption because we, really, we realized that women were coming together and women were sharing and were connecting and were empowering each other at, you know, from different countries. And then um, this year we're doing, uh, we, well, we did Her Time Is Now because we, you know, it's really Her Time Is Now. Yeah. All the time, yes. right? Yes. <laughs> but this year but and last year has really <laughs> yeah. been just with Michelle Obama and all yeah. these women coming forward yeah. and Hillary being the first female that ran yeah. for president, yeah. despite whatever you hear in the media. Um, <laughs> it, it is. Her time is now. Yeah. There's more women coming forward now than ever mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. good or bad yeah. to tell the truth, to break their silence, yeah. to, to stand and be a part of decision, some of the biggest decisions made on this planet. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing to see. Yeah. And so you're here on the back end helping women believe and restore that they can be a part of that too, despite their circumstances, mm-hmm. the phase of life, the season that they're in. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. It's amazing. The hard time is now. I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> so cool. <laughs> so... I, for the event planners that are listening to this, because I, I, you said one thing and you totally grazed over it. And I was like, oh, hold on. Your first conference, you said it was just two countries. It was like it was you, two countries. Yeah. it was you and or Mexico and US. Yeah. And then you were like, the second conference, there were 45 countries. Yeah. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Mm-hmm. What was the difference between the first? Because we had evidence. Boom. Because yeah. most people do, first of all, you lose money every time you do it. Your first conference. So I've never lost money. What? Yeah. And I've never invested my own money in it. What? Yeah. I've invested probably $1,000 in my business. Mm-hmm. 
Are you serious? Everything's from sponsors. Everything's from, yeah. So, so are you like the sponsor guru on the side? Like, <laughs> well, I learned that you have to be extremely persistent when it comes to sponsors. Yes. When it comes to other companies joining your mission. And you have to be extremely transparent. I didn't, you know, till the day, it's like every conference that we would do in colleges, there was an account at the university. So it was very transparent. Companies knew where the money was, where go, was going. Um, you know, they got full exposure. We had a package design you know, with specific details of what they needed to know. What, what you need to know is that at the, at the end of the day is companies and whoever you work with is looking for what is best for them. Mm-hmm. So you have to design something that's going to benefit them. Mm-hmm. And where they're going to say, oh, this aligns with our mission. This aligns with our goals. This aligns where we want to get to. So do you do a lot of work identifying the companies yes, that you align that are, yourself with mm-hmm. that align with your mission? And many people will sacrifice their mission or their goals or their, you know, to adapt and try to fit into other companies' mission. Mm-hmm. And that's where you lose yourself and you lose your business and you lose because you're trying to and that's one of the things I learned early on that I had to follow my own stick vision, to your values. stick to my values, stick to the women that I want to surround myself with because the women that I surround myself with are the biggest advocates and they're the biggest support that are, you know, they'll remind you daily of your value and they'll remind you daily of why you're fighting, what you're fighting for. And, you know, I think for me, that's what I learned, right? Um, Follow your gut and then do everything very structured. You know, do cold emails, do them well. Um, your cold emails were great. Yeah. <laughs> I got all of them because I signed up early. <laughs> um, so, did you kind of just self learn all of this from like conference one to yeah. just do you like have a team meeting afterwards? Like, what could we do better? And then you just kind of implement yes afterwards okay yeah. yeah so of course you know there's been a lot of you have to be good at crisis control 100 percent. we've had so much of that wow a lot wow. yeah and and you have to deal with it and you have to know that when you're organizing conferences nothing's gonna run smooth i mean something's gonna always be, gonna happen and there's a lot of i'm very good with risk and um the unknown like with conferences, you're not going to see there. Like you, there's no way. I mean, you're not going to just. It's not a product, right? It right. is a product, but you're not going to see it until the day of. Right. So you have to be very visual. You have to surround yourself with people that are better at other things. So I have amazing designers, amazing developers, amazing uh, marketers. So you know when you have a company or you're starting, especially with like a movement, because what we do is a movement of badass women Mm. and and sometimes a lot of these women come into this and then they realize that they're badass right it's like it's like we have to be reminded which is oh we have to be reminded constantly because we're taught to be humble and and you know what i'm pretty sure and i want to say this here that after this i'm going to say what did you think did i do well right and this is so normal right everyone every time you do something you sort of have that you need validation yeah we need like we need security. Yeah. We need like that's but that's the whole female relationship, right? We're like mm-hmm. with a man for security. Yeah. We ask for validation for security. Yeah. Like it's this constant. Yeah. And I, I don't. Where did that come from? Why are we like that? <laughs> so hold on, two questions. I got to go back. Um, so one, you said from first to second conference there was evidence. Mm-hmm. What was the evidence? 
I had pictures. I had testimonies. I had a video made. We had a videographer. And it was funny because a lot of the people that I would meet that helped me, I would meet at a cup shop. I would meet at a store. But what I did was shared my message everywhere, you know, everywhere. I would be doing my nails and the women would know that. I mean, I've met women doing nails like that are doing their nails next to me that are powerhouses. Mm. But I've just shared it everywhere. So when people hear it, they'll remember, right? And, and for me, you know, after the first conference, it was hard. I mean, I was a week away from my first conference and I still had to fundraise $10,000. <gasps> are you serious? Yeah. Did you pull it off? Yeah. How? Putting deadlines. <laughs> I mean, going back to all the sponsors that, have, that I've been working with, uh, including my university and saying, okay, if, if I can't pull this off, how am I going to lower costs in every other way? So I got departments from my university to sponsor transportation. I got departments to sponsor this. I got, you know, the consulate, the Mexican consulate to sponsor the dinner. I got a restaurant to lower costs by from $20 to 10. So it was just getting creative. And I think that's what I've, been able to master is that creativity so that I can lower the cost and charge very little to my attendees because at the end of the day I want to make this conference a fully sponsored conference because I don't want any woman to miss out okay so many things so before I ask you the next question I just want to speak to the success of your last event how many women were there 170 and I think like the normal ticket was like 125 mm -hmm. or something 125, yeah. and so I that was the first conference I've sold like for one day as a business. So our last conference, we usually charge around $400 to $500 to uh, women that are flying in. And that's a different concept. That one's like global conference. And right. the one I did is like the one day, you know, more for executive and entrepreneurs and, and local, local women. Uh -huh. But we had, you know, a couple of my ambassadors from Kenya and Mexico flew in for the conference and and they shared what they're doing. So we're launching also trips. Uh, so we're going to be doing sort of like mission trips to visit all the different ambassadors. Um, and we're opening spots for like 25 people to go. Our first trip will be to Kenya this oh year. Oh my God. Okay. So how do you keep women engaged after this? Because I always hear like the struggle, like you have this great event, there's all this hype, all this energy, all this engagement, and then boop, flatline. Yeah. How do you keep everyone engaged after this? A lot of the ambassadors uh, become part of our team. So we create, you know, like a lot of conferences do, the online group. Uh, but I think what really engages us is the experience and the feelings and everything they got through the conference. It's, it lasts for a long time. I mean, our, our... I saw a lot of people crying. Yeah. Oh, people cry. I always cry. I mean, you guys witness me two times crying. You just cry twice in less than an hour. Yeah, I always cry, but I think it's okay to cry, mm -hmm. right? It's mm -hmm. it's it's part of it. You know, so many people like don't want to show that side of, and that's what's gonna help you, right? Because people are gonna relate and they're gonna vulnerability. Yeah, they're gonna connection. Yeah. So. Um, I forgot what I was saying. No, it's okay because this human connection piece and there's something else. The fact that you said that you walked around everywhere and you were like a walking billboard. So you talk to people to get your nails done and you're... It, immediately in my mind, I just have to be open about this. I was like, 
how come I've never done that about the stuff that I do, you know? But I instantly think of myself sitting next to someone and I'm like, humble yourself. This lady doesn't want to hear about your idea. Like, this lady doesn't want to hear... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they want to listen. They will listen. That's so... Because you will tell it. And they have no choice. (laughs) But to listen to it. But how does that benefit you? And why... I know I'm not the only one. Why Why do we feel like... Why do we have this mindset where we can't share, we have to be humble, we have to be quiet, yeah. we don't want to show off? It's stereotypes. Because men show it's off. Yeah, they the show time. off. And that's why they move up. That's where they get a bit better salary. Oh! Everything. I mean, I negotiated my first salary when I was 16. And that was my first internship in a law in a law, in a law um, firm. And when I joined the law firm, I had a Russian friend. And of course, she was like, no, no, no. you got to do it. I mean, you know, you got to negotiate a salary. So I negotiated from not getting anything for that internship to $12 an hour. And at that moment, it seemed pretty high, right? I mean, I w- was not going to get anything. And from there on, it's, I think we as women need to talk about our salaries. Like we need to talk about them because it's not okay. You won't know if there are other opportunities or if your salary or if you're being undervalued if you don't talk about it. I can tell you easily working alongside business owners that they're always going to lowball you if they're given the opportunity. And you're a target if you're a woman. Mm -hmm. Again, I listened to a TEDx recently where this woman said that like, I don't want to script the numbers, but she said 54, it was like a study done that 54% of men will negotiate their salary and 7% of women will negotiate their salary. But then I thought about myself and I was like, I've never been sitting in a room signing a contract or signing an offer letter thinking or even considering about negotiating my salary because in my mind, I'm like, well, just thank God that these people gave me this job. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Why? And when you use the word negotiate, I think people mean, I envision myself sitting across the table going, well, no, I won't take this. And then fearing the response, well, we can find someone else. So what does not happen? I mean, it it can, right? right? It just depends. But I think if you have companies expect you to negotiate, right? That's a given, right? I mean, they will give you an offer and tell you, you know, 50, 60, whatever. If you don't negotiate, you're not going to know. I mean, the worst case they can say is we can't do that. Mm. And then you say, oh, okay, that's fine. I'll lower two grand or one grand or 500. So what I even do with negotiating salaries plus sponsorship, I usually spend send my sponsorship levels to a man before I send them out. Because I need to know that what I'm asking for from a man perspective, if it's lower or higher. Because they're usually better at asking for more mm. and we're not. And the thing, and, you know, maybe it's through history or I don't know why that, you know, even me growing up, I mean, what, two years ago, I was told by, you know, family members, like, you shouldn't say you're smart. You shouldn't talk about yourself. Don't brag. Don't say this. If I weren't to brag, people would not know about my mission and people would not know about what I do. And I think that's so powerful. It doesn't matter if you were able to put, you know, do your nails well or, you know, start this cool club. I mean, it really doesn't matter what you do. If you don't talk about it, there's other people are not going to join you. And there's also this misconception, this like idea that if you, you know, if, if you share your idea, people are going to copy it. Right. Right. Or someone else will do it. And I just heard that today, right. With this idea that I have and they're like, don't share it to this person because she's going to want to do it. And I'm like, there's space for all of us. I mean, we can all do it. And if she does it, she's going to do it in a different way because I have my own style of doing things. So, you know, I think that's why it's so important to go to conferences where it really focuses on 
you know, your own values, your worth. Because once you know your worth, there's nothing that's going to stop you. Nothing. That's such a scarcity mindset, what you just mentioned. But I keep telling people, like, that takes work. You, I I would say 90% of people deal with that. Like, it's like you are, you have this scarcity mindset where you feel like you don't want someone to take from you. You don't want someone to copy you. You don't want to put your ideas out there in the world. But it's like, look, really open your eyes and look at what's going on. Do you hear pastors saying like, I'm not going to plan a church because there's 500 churches here already. I don't want to be 501. Like no one's going to come to my church. No, you have a different mission, a different message and a different way that you're going to attach yourself to people that they're going to feel like they're in the right place place there's millions of podcasts out there i'm not complaining you know what i mean like walk down the bread aisle nobody's like we should not create another brand there's already too many brands of bread like it this is everywhere nobody's sitting in a nursing classroom like well there's 40 other women in my class i should probably quit now like no yeah people do need to know i mean you're gonna have to put a lot of work yes and there's you know endless hours weekends nights that you have to work and what is the most stressful, which I'm sure a lot of women can relate, is that things don't happen overnight. And mm-hmm. we're in this world and, you know, with social media and you see that all the time. You see results, you see women getting advertisements, you know, paid for advertisements. You get all of these things that are constantly bombarding you. But, you know, you, sh- you, you need to stop comparing And something that I tell myself always is like, work through the noise. If you can work through the noise, then one day you'll be able to look back. And I also always think about it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure a lot of like, you know, CEOs and important people don't spend their time on Instagram or social media. Looking at what other people are doing. Exactly. Like you're, if you focus on your own things, then you'll be able to then grow, right? And... Because if you're just focusing on other things, you're never going to know who you are. And you're not even present in what you're doing. Because you're literally... It's like shiny objects. It's like, what's everyone else doing? Well, that works. I tell everyone, just because you know how to take out the trash doesn't mean that you don't let your man do it. Like, (laughs) So just because you see someone making a million dollars building balloon decorations and you're like oh i know how to do balloons she made a million dollars maybe i should try it i could do it like no No. that's not your gift that's not your purpose if you have a divine calling and you have a vision for it that's it god's not going to give you a vision or a divine calling or anything that you see for yourself that is not for you it's just going to be a longer road to get there because you have to prove that you deserve it Mm -hmm. and how long have you been doing this for over five years and I, I can tell by the way you're talking that you're nowhere near satisfied. No, this is just starting. Yeah, this is like scratch of the surface. <laughs> yeah. So five more years from now, like you'll just you'll still be getting where you want to be. And where's what is? I mean, I know end goals are fleeting, but yeah. where do you? What's the goal for the Women Ambassadors Forum? Like, I m- my goal is to grow this conference to be first worldly recognized mm. and to have cities send you know leaders from you know local leaders to the conference. And also to just know that we're changing lives. Like, that's ultimately, it doesn't matter the scale. It doesn't matter, um, you know, how many sponsors or how much money or how many people at the end of the day is that satisfaction of you change someone's life that matters. It's all about the one. Mm -hmm. Mm, Girl. So tell me the best advice you ever received. What's like the thing that jumps out at you that you're like, that really helped me. Or maybe your favorite quote. 
I've gotten a lot recently because I think I've, you know, you surround yourself with some powerful people. Definitely. My, you know, obviously one of my best advice that probably a lot of us have heard from our mothers is choose your friends wisely. And I never knew that advice would literally change my life and would really help me grow and get to where I want to be. Because if you're surrounded, you know, by women that are going to support you, that are, aren't going to take energy nor anything from you, but are there to fully give you, you know, and, and also you give back, right? But there's different stages in our lives and we always mm. have different kind of friends, right? But just knowing that when you're surrounded by even men too, that are, you know, supportive, you can do a lot. Have you had a drop friends ever? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Every prob- conference. <laughs> <laughs> You're not serving I me right now. <laughs> you gotta go. <laughs> well, I can imagine this is like a year long planning hall, right? It is. Yeah. It takes at least 10 months to plan. And so how much of you, so I think real life, I think 24 years old, I'm 29. I think of partying, drinking, hanging out, trying to find my future man of my dreams, like all of the above and just getting by with like a pretty good job and you must have had to sacrifice a whole lot. Yes. Is there anything that you ever feel like, man, I wish I would have spent more time doing that instead of this? No. Not and I think what, especially what my college, you know, high school advisor told me about never living, leaving an impact, I think that just stuck with me. And it's something that I, you know, it, it really fuels me that it, not that I want to be recognized or I'm seeking recognition. It's just that, you know, that idea of only having one life that, you know, I have to do what makes me happy and I need to block all those people that are telling me that this is not a good idea. And do people still tell you that this yeah. is crazy? Oh, yeah. Are you serious? Now less than I was going to say, I can see it. They don't see yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of men that have asked me to do a men's ambassadors for her. <laughs> I'm like, that's every conference. Are you all? <laughs> you go yeah. Through? Every conference is men and five women. Yeah. <laughs> that's your conference. <laughs> oh my gosh. So what, and what do you, oh, I'm trying to think of how to ask this. So what, not the why, but what, um, what keeps you going in, in the midst of all the chaos? Like, I can just imagine in conference planning, like, all these crazy things happening, and you're like, this is it. This is the last one I'm doing. I'm not doing oh, this I again. I say that every time. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. But what keeps you going? Like, the day of festivities, the women with the testimonials. Like, what are you just like, I, this is for me. This is my gift. I always say this after the conference, which is so cliche, but I can always say I can die happy after every conference that I do. Aww. Yeah. So it's that emotion and that feeling and that seeing how women are getting, you know, are there and are finding their purpose and, you know, are in some way or form changing their life. I think that's what motivates me and keeps me going. And knowing that when you find your passion, it just feels right. It feels right. Everything starts falling into place. I oh mean, my God. Everything aligns. It's like flow. Everything. It really does. And I hadn't manifest this fully until a few months ago. And that's when so many things are falling into place. There's been so many speaking engagements and so many things that I didn't ask for. But it's because you're aligned. And when you're aligned, that's when you just feel right. You that That's, for me, happiness, right? That is what you know, I want to do. And what do you think it takes to get aligned? Because you've been doing this a for lot. five years. Yeah. 
but it took you just a couple months ago that you actually felt aligned. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I almost quit before I got aligned because I was like, this isn't making sense. I just have an expensive hobby. This isn't working. Like, and then out of nowhere, it was like everything just started. When I let the feelings out, I just let everything out. And then I kind of dove back in and I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. It feels so good. Like, what do you think it takes to get aligned? For me personally, I think it, the moment where I made my movement a business, like legally, mm-hmm. and I started doing things on my own without having to rely on universities and on external people to shape and tell me the way that things should be run, that's when it all made sense. Because every time I organize a conference, I'm that scared. I mean, I always think I'm going to fail in, in my head. I'm like paranoid. And it's taken me for conferences to feel confident. They say if you don't do something that scares the shit out of you, it's not big enough. <laughs> exactly. And yep. that's what my friends tell me. And, you know, it's like, you're in the right path because you're scared. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, but I don't want to feel like this. Uh, and then it's like this for three months. <laughs> yeah. But then the little moments, you know, it, it, they always tell you that it's, Whatever you do, it's the battle that you're going to choose to do it. Because it's never going to get smooth. I mean, the bigger the things get, the more obstacles. So for me, that battle of finding sponsors, getting the speakers, the not knowing, the, you know, being able to use my creativity, that's what I like to do. And the ups and downs and the, you know, opening that email where it says, you know, we're going to sponsor you this much money. And I'm like, ah, yes. I've stopped my car in the middle of highways and be like, ah, <laughs> like start screaming, <laughs> call people and be like, oh my God, we did it. Yeah. So it's just like those little things and like, there'll be lots of downs and lots of up, but that, that's the beauty of choosing what aligns with you is that battle. So what's your, we're not going to take up much more of your time. I just want to know what is your advice for women that um, aren't sure where they should be right now, don't feel aligned, uh, don't know they're meant for more, but don't know what that looks like and can't seem to get focused on it, you know, maybe have a job or a career or even a degree, but just kind of, kind of have that empty feeling. What would your advice be? Gosh, there's so many, but I think, you know, I shared that story of the girl um, that had been raped and it's a very, very, very strong story that I got to experience when I was so young and that experience and feeling of hugging her was just, it felt as if, you know, there wasn't anyone else in the world. Like that was like that feeling that I was seeking for and that feeling I was able to get through my conferences and I didn't plan this. I didn't organize. I mean, I'd never studied, you know, event planning. I've never studied logistics, budgeting. I mean, everything like accounting. I mean, there's so many things that go along with a conference and it's just knowing what feels good. It doesn't, you don't have to be successful. You know, if, if you know, it feels good, you will and become successful because you'll do it. Right. And not even what feels good in, in the actual feeling sense, right? Because a lot of people think that what feels good, you know, that's what you should do. And then they end up doing bad things, right? Exactly. But it's it's what what feels your heart, right? Yes. What keeps you going. So it could be, you know, mentoring a kid. It could be, um, you know, helping your family, anything. I mean, what that's true, you know, happiness. And that's what we're, we came to do in this world. It's finding things that because then 
if you think about it, I mean, do you want to create a company where you're going to be sitting at a desk working, you know, God knows how many hours and not seeing the sunlight? You know, some people will like that, but it's it just depends, right? So what I would say is be careful with who you who you choose to listen to mm. because that can really change the path that you're embarking in. And also just, you know, follow your intuition because it's there for a reason. Yeah. It's either it's redirecting you right now. It's you're in the middle of a setup. If you don't feel something, it's because you're in the middle of a setup. And there was a time where I felt like quitting, right? Because I couldn't do it. I mean, it's it's really very stressful. And, you know, I had to motivate my team. You know, there were a lot of things that were piling up. And then I got a message from an ambassador saying how she'd overcome this and started this whole new initiative. And another ambassador that went to the United States is now being rec- she's being recognized in the parliament and the UN and, and she's an advocate of the world now. And those are the stories that I'm like, okay, Ingrid, you're on the right track. Remember. Don't stop. Yeah. Don't quit. Yeah. Wow. Girl. Woo. So tell us when the next, do you know when the next one is? Yeah, so it's March of next year. Okay. That will be our global conference, but women can also apply uh, locally to mm-hmm. attend. And there will also be other opportunities for you to go. Uh, it could be a dinner or, you know, one day. We're hoping to have around 300 women from all of 300 to 500 uh, women from all over the world. And then we're also uh, doing more local events throughout the year. So stay tuned. And then we have a trip planned to Kenya in September of this year. Wow. And that one will be, I mean, amazing. Our ambassador there works, you know, in so many wonderful and beautiful initiatives that are changing her community for for women especially. Oh, my gosh. You are taking names, girl. (laughs) You are not playing. And you're really 24 years old. changing the world and giving women life. You're like the lifeblood to what women need to hear. So congratulations on all your hard work. Congratulations on all the lives you've impacted. This is serious and you need to feel validated. You deserve to feel validated because this is, this is huge and it's only the beginning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So let everybody know where they can stalk you, find you and follow the women ambassadors forum. So, yeah, they can find me on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and then follow our, it's WAF Intel, so they can follow our, our Instagram account. It's W-A-F-I-N. Yeah, org for our website. Got it. I mean, womenaf.org. Women AF, women. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great <laughs> marketing. <laughs> well, I didn't know. It was, a, we have a Mexican developer. And I, I mean, I had five months to plan my first conference, so he, uh, he just put the URL together. He was like, women, ambassadors form, perfect, women, AF. And then I didn't really think about it until like a year Please later. tell me there's shirts coming. I should, right? Please get shirts. That's perfect. I will. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, trademark that. Okay, so women, uh, womenaf.org on Instagram, your W-A-F-I-N-T-L, you said? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and then your Instagram? Where yeah, can people start here? Your... Perfect. All right. That's when I joined social media in 2005. <laughs> <laughs> that's when I became social. Five. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing your story, being honest, vulnerable with us, and telling us all about your life-changing movement. And her time is now, and we're thankful to be a part of it. And thank you for joining us. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of The Stranded Podcast. If you felt inspired or moved today, make sure to leave a review on iTunes. 
You can learn more about us and our guests at thestrandedphase.com. And don't forget that your stranded phase is a rite of passage on your journey to greatness.